welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is ABCA 2022 Hall of Fame inductee Fond du Lac head coach Marty Paulson. Coach Paulson has coached in seven different decades. He's entering his 54th season at Fond du Lac. He has over 600 wins and is second in all-time wins for active coaches in the state of Wisconsin. The Cardinals have appeared in the state tournament in five different decades and won the 2000 state championship. He's still coaching at an elite level, taking Fondy to the state playoffs in 2019. In this episode, you'll see why Coach Paulson's still having success. He has a passion for teaching and coaching. Get your pad and pen ready because Coach Paulson gives out a ton of great nuggets in this episode. He's the blueprint for living a life well-lived. Let's welcome Marty Paulson to the podcast. Here with Marty Paulson, 54th season at Fond du Lac High School, over 600 wins, second most wins among active uh, Wisconsin coaches, has appeared in state uh, in five different decades and 2000 state championship, but had an appearance in the 2019 state state playoffs as well. So, Coach Paulson, thanks for jumping on with me. Yep, you're welcome. Thank you. What does it mean to you to get inducted into the ABCA Hall of Fame? Well, it's a dream come true, obviously, but you don't even, that's a dream you really don't even think about. Um, it's uh, one of those things that, you know, I've sat through so many of their speeches and listened and and you know, I just thought I would never be there. I, I, I'm I'm a I'm a guy from a little small town up in Cable, Wisconsin. Uh, 125 people in town, and <laughs> ten of my graduating class, seven boys and three girls. It's like, and then all of a sudden, here I am. I mean, I, I mean, that's amazing what the ABCA has done, and it's just I can't even put it too much to words. But it's 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 such a, an exclusive class of people. And for me to be one of them is just amazing. It's just uh, uh, kind of un- unbelievable. Do you have any favorite convention stories? Um, well, I know one thing. I know I spoke there right after Ryan, uh, Nolan Ryan. And How was that? Well, that was awesome. I mean, I figured the, it was the biggest crowd they had, and I figured they were there for me. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, things like listen to Tony Gwynn, 
you talk about hitting and he said, well, I said, this is the bat. So you get to the plate and when the ball comes, you hit it. And if it's on the outside corner, you hit it, you hit it the opposite way. It was down the middle, you hit it up the middle and you pull the other. I mean, that's about as simple as it can be, but that's just about as realism, except that the major leagues don't do that anymore with those shifts. They, they never go the other way unless, unless, you know, I mean, so. Now, hey, now we have seen it though in this playoffs. Um, yes, we have. We've seen it more. I think it's, you know, the the neat thing with baseball is it always kind of comes back to the middle because th there's always and not that they're fads, but I think people are going to try new things. But then you realize that okay, you know, using the whole field works, especially with two strikes. Um, you know, and, exactly. and and if you want to win championships, you still have to do those things. And, and it's fine to try new things, but at the end of the day, that the teams that win championships, they still do the same things that they've always done to win games, and that's throw strikes, play defense, and put the ball in play with two strikes, and 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 bop a ball every once in a while. But those things haven't changed in the history of the game. No, you know, and it's just like education. I started in education right away when I was twenty-two, and. You know, they started out with like cooperative education where you worked with people and then it all went to something else. And then all of a sudden it came back. I mean, it's a it's a big circle. Same with baseball. That That's that's what makes baseball a great game. You know, I said, you know, the one thing you need, I mean, it's nice to have big boppers and things like that. I mean, um, but on the other hand, it's kind of nice to get a guy on base and then that's going to take that pitcher into a stretch. That's a different situation. And uh, yeah, I mean. You know, some of my players, I mean, I'm a big Brewer fan, and, and you know, they said they got to get Yelich straightened away. Well, you know, then he started to hit the ball the other way, even though he, he couldn't get any power. But at least he was getting on and taking, you know, he just takes a lot of walks and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's just one of those things that you still have to get men on and, and make the most of it. So, yeah, it's uh, – it's it's a baseball. That's why baseball is a great game. And the other thing is, there's no clock. Let's face it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Hey, I want to back up a little bit. Town of 125 yes. people. I mean, what options were for were there for you growing up, sports wise? Well, you know, there was basketball and baseball. So, because you know, we didn't have enough boys to do anything else, I mean, you know, usually you think about it that when there's a uh, 70 kids in the high school, well, 35 are going to be girls and 35 boys. It doesn't always add that up, but that's pretty much kind of what uh, the situation is. So, you know, I, I grew up watching my dad and those people play on Sunday afternoons, and that's, that's what we did. The family went, and, you know, I learned how to keep score And when I was a little kid, and it's just things that, you know, you're involved and you're doing it. I used to play – you know, the mailman or the post office guy would come down, drop off the mail, and he was one of my classmates, and he'd get off his bike, and I'd have a home plate sitting there, and I'd have a pitcher's mound, and we'd pitch innings. And, uh, you know, so that's what we did. And then, of course, get the basketball out, and, you know, I played them both. I ended up getting to college in both, and I, I wasn't a star. I got injured. But, yeah, I just uh, – it's just such a great game. But, unfortunately, unless – Unless kids just don't do that on their own, they they don't go play sandlot. You know, they just jump on their bikes and go somewhere. And and it's what's happened is a lot of it is that if the, if the adult doesn't organize it for them, they don't do it. Especially the society with social you know social media. But and, and yeah, so, it was. Hey, how are you combating that as a coach? I mean, you've been doing this for five decades, so you you've seen that actually, actually the seven. growth. Um, actually, seven. 
Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, and I actually been to state seven decades. So, so, so seven I'm glad you corrected me on that. I'll get that in the intro on the on the correction piece. But I mean, how have you how have you combated that now, coaching? Because you know that with your generation of kids that you're dealing with now. How, how are you helping them when they get to you? Because you know they probably haven't played as much, so you're going to have to teach a little bit more on that side of things. Well, and that's exactly right. I mean, let's let's go back to the COVID situation, and then I'll, I'll answer your question, but let's go back to the COVID situation where, where in, 19, in 2019 we got to state, and, you know, we had a good team, uh, but a lot of underclassmen, and we played well. We, we finished fourth out of 96 large schools and did a heck of a job, and then, well, I had eight of those kids back most of my pitching back and uh, all of a sudden with COVID then then those kids couldn't play and so that's just the way it was and then a lot of summer ball was not played because there was no vaccine or anything then and so the bottom line was um what what, what happened is is that last year then when I started the season I, I really didn't know from because there was no JVs or freshmen I didn't really know what kind of team was I going to have I ended up with seven starters starting on my team of sophomores and the last time they played was eighth grade think about that so i started open gyms in december and you know you just can open up the gym and put out put out some equipment and then they can hit and bunt and throw and whatever and i did it two days a week so that way if they couldn't make one day they could maybe make the other and of course so got the guys that played hockey and basketball and wrestling they didn't come but that's okay because they were they were to me a multi multi-sport athletes much better but um you know so there you do what you can and then um yeah you just got to work every day and you gotta gotta make it fun otherwise kids won't do it but um yeah it's a challenge because they don't they don't play that much and you know, so hey, hey, give a, give us some examples of making it fun. Well, you got to compete every day, and then you know you got you got one group wins and one loses, and you know I I give out suckers, blow pops for the winners, and well, kids love that. And every now and then I'll I'll say, okay, you know, we'll put two teams out here, and the winners get a dollar, and you know, and I I have to tell them it's it's tortoise soda, you know, but. Uh, you know, you just you just have to compete and, and, and you have to make it fun and you got to you know, put competition in all your drills. I mean, uh, you know, you know you put a couple guys over third and, you know, you just it's it's just got to be fun. Uh, you know, you emphasize, we, we emphasize prepare to be as well, do as well as you can and then you can't do much about it once the game starts. But, you know. In the ultimate situation is have fun. I mean, that's that's just what it is. I mean, it's a sport. It's you can't. There's a lot of stuff we can't control, and uh, you know, some days you're going to go against that pitcher that's throwing 90s, and then the other day you're going to go against somebody that's throwing 74, and then the kids complain because the one guy was too fast, and then they complain it's too slow. You got to adjust, man. So yeah. Hey, how do you know? You know, you said you started seven sophomores, so yeah. obviously not by design, but how do you know as a coach, because you're going to have years like that where maybe it's time to play some younger guys over some older guys. So how, how do you know that? Well, the bottom line is, uh, you know, you'd know your kids and um, uh, what it is, is I, I, I may have lost some games in all my years because I usually give the kids that have been in the program for four years, I give them a chance. And, um, 
you know, so a kid comes out as a freshman and he doesn't play a whole lot. Then he's there as a sophomore, maybe he plays, but not all. And he's with me a junior year and he doesn't get to play. But I know he's got some ability and that's why he's there. And we keep encouraging, helping. I try to give him a chance as a senior. Now, however, if after a while you have to make that decision who's who's going to be better and who isn't, and if, if there's somebody that's there and they're going to, you know, you get a you get a kid that's one for nineteen. Well, it's, it's time to, you know, say sorry. You're going to have to keep working and you know give them a tea and tell them to go bang away until you can you can get this thing. I mean, that's just reality. So, like last year, I didn't have any. I didn't have any seniors. Actually, I had five seniors. They played, and then I had only three juniors because that was just a, a short class, you know. And so the rest were sophomores. And I had I actually had to pick out of this, you know, early season, which ones are going to help. And most of them did. I, I was right, but that helped. Hey, what do you, what do you, uns, what do successful teams do that unsuccessful teams don't do? Well, I think that chemistry is big. You got, you got to get along. Uh, that's a big factor. I, I think any, any coach would tell you that, um, you know, we, we laugh a lot. Uh, we pick on the guys, they pick on us. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm rather uncharacteristic, but I guess I'm going to tell you this, but I actually have a you suck ball that I hand out when a kid screws up. And um, it, it happened with that good team in 2019. And we were just a close knit group. Uh, see, a lot of these kids have come through my summer camps. So when they were little, little, little guys, you know, they all called me Marty and Marty. And I, I didn't care. You know, I just tell the kids now when they're up in the upper, you know, you can call me Marty, but the problem with that is adults who are not in the program, you know, think that that's disrespectful. It should be coach or Mr. Paulson and that. I, I don't take that necessarily, but I do tell them, I think it's best just call me coach. But, you know, all of a sudden we got to know these kids. And so some kid shows up to practice one day and he didn't have any gear. And he comes up, he says, well, I don't have my gear. And I says, you go to school in the morning and you take your books, but you don't take your baseball stuff. Now that is un unacceptable. Your number one priority is baseball. We don't care what you do in class. Now I, I'm being, I'm kidding, but you can't forget your gear. And so then the next day in practice, after practice, I said, well, we got our first uh, person on the ball. And I, I put his number. I didn't want to put his name because if mother finds out, she might be mad that his name's on it and then another kid you know so he's on there and everybody laughs and he's fine no problem and another, another kid hit a base hit to left field little lefty and he rounds first and he thinks it's caught so he runs back to the dugout and everybody's going what are you doing and he said well he caught it no I, I said you know what the reason you're here is because that's the first hit first hit you had this year and you wanted to come and tell us and you know just stuff like that it just works my first year at Western, we had a player miss a hit and run sign and um, probably not great on my, I threw my helmet and cracked it. Um, but then to break the ice at practice that week, I had the player sign the helmet with a Sharpie because our budget wasn't very good. So it's not like I could get another, I couldn't get another skull cap to coach the rest of the year. So I coached the rest of the year with a broken skull cap, but his, his signature was on that, that helmet that I wore the rest of the year, just to kind of break the ice that, Hey, this happens, but uh, to kind of have a, a little bit of a release for everybody. So, well, exactly. And, and when I had my son play, uh, very, very, very competitive, and two other guys, I tell him, you know, you can't be throwing your helmets and bats 
but you know they were so competitive and when things didn't go well so they'd go around behind the dugout when I wasn't looking and then they'd fire their helmet on the ground or something like that I mean it's I don't know you see it in the majors every now and then somebody comes in and pushes over a water bucket or something you know and uh to this day when I see one of the, those kids which was back in 1989 I, I tell them you know hey you still owe me for a helmet you know because you cracked it behind the dugout and you, you didn't think I knew but I did and you know, those are the kind of things you just develop relationships. I mean, um, I, I just tell kids that life is about opportunities and having fun. And, and, you know, the opportunity I'm referring to is that you've got to make the most of what you're supposed to be doing. And it's like people go up there and don't swing the bat. They take a pitch all the time. And I've got a t-shirt that with a K backwards, that says not okay. This is not okay. You know, and I just—that's a missed opportunity in life. You know, is that your why? The relationships you've been doing it seven decades. So is—is is that what keeps you going? You still have so much passion for coaching. Is that what keeps you going? Going the is the relationships. Well, I'll tell you what kind of keeps me going is—is is that I love baseball. It's a great game, and um, and I and I love I, I love teaching. I, I I was I was really fortunate. I taught marketing and business. It's at the high school for all my life. And so I had the best, I had the best kids in the school. I mean, I had every athlete in the school that came to take marketing. I mean, marketing is a little bit of everything, you know, and selling, learn, learning how to sell yourself, learning how to handle things, learning how to, you know, be a salesman and, and, you know, learn to be told no. And you just figure all that stuff out. But um, what keeps me going really is, is that um, we all know that if we, really really like something and you love something so why quit why stop you know and i guess uh i got the energy i i still throw batting i throw as hard as i used to even though it takes longer to get there right <laughs> but uh I, that, you know, I get involved and i'm out there and i'm shagging flies with the guys so I, i'm i'm fortunate enough that I'm physically good at yeah, I've taken care of my knees and got new knees, whatever. But I mean, it's just, and the other one was that um, Cody Gillespie was a good friend of mine. And when he was at Ripon College, that's just 20 miles from me. And he used to come and watch our games and we had some good players. He got some, and, but he was there. That we won the state title in 2000. And then 2001, he was at our regional final game and there was a real bad call and we got beat as a result of it and I don't blame umpires but it was you know that was one of those particular difficult calls now was it right or wrong I you know that's beside the point but he called me he called me that night and he said Marty don't you ever quit don't you ever quit you know the great Gordy Gillespie I mean come on he's got more wins than than you know most people have children so uh but anyway so I guess it's uh it's just one of those things that's, that's always stuck with me. It's always stuck with me. And I've been very supportive. My wife's been very supportive for, I've been married the same amount of years I've coached. And uh, that's what makes a marriage go though, really, is that I coached three sports. I was never home. And that makes a good marriage. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> hey, with hey, with your marketing class, were you doing any real world stuff with them? Because I mean, I, Tom Walter was on with me, and we talked about he was the assistant GM of the Greensboro Bats for a while. He talked about everybody should sell at some point. So, were you doing any real world stuff in your marketing class with them? 
Well, first of all, we ran the school store and we, we did all the concessions for the, for the, the all of all the sports. And uh, so now were they actually selling? Not in that case, but they were, you know, you're interacting with people. I mean, that's uh, yeah. the, the service time. industry is a great way to get you are selling because you're interacting with people. Well, the other thing is, is that you, you got to sell yourself in order to get somebody to come and buy something. And, you know, they would do all the ordering for the school store and and they would get everything. They did it all. I had a great I had my first two hours of teaching was my advanced class. I had handpicked those kids. So I had like 25 kids that I picked to be with me for a year. I mean, one thing we did do is I told the I told the yearbook people, I said, you you know, you got you got about four hundred dollars worth of ads in your yearbook. I said, I'll I'll let I'll if you want me to, I'll send my kids out. Now that was sales, you know, and they ended up getting ten thousand dollars in ads for the yearbook. It was unbelievable. And the school was like, What the heck? I said, Well, you know, I said I'm Marty Paulson. I get stuff done. Of course they, yeah, they, yeah, then they laugh at that. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, yeah, we did a lot of that kind of stuff. And the other thing is, we worked with like this department stores. We did inventory for them. And that was on a side job where they'd get paid. So the kids would, you know, come out, and I, I would give them my top kids, and they would get, they would get paid, and by the, by the business. So I mean, it worked out well. That's tremendous. Um, that's why I love the podcast because all of our guests are so different and they always bring different stories and that, that has value to anybody that's listening sure. in and how to make it fun. And, um, you know, you can see why you're such a good coach is because you've brought passion to, to that side of it too. Um, and you know, I just think that's a life lived well is, is you're bringing passion and energy to everything that you're doing. Um, is there anything you wish you would have known when you got into it in the beginning? Well, you know, I didn't, I hadn't taken any coaching classes or anything. I, it's really strange how I got in this thing. It was that I graduated from university of Wisconsin, Stevens point, and I got a teaching job in Fond du Lac. And that's the other thing. I got all my years right here. But what happened is, is that I went to the AD and I just said, Hey, I'd be interested in coaching some basketball or baseball. And it's a very, very interesting story. All of a sudden, I, I, I came in January. I graduated in January. Somebody was leaving. I took the job, and <clears throat> excuse me. And then at the end of the, at the end of that school year, the base or the they needed a basketball assistant coach. So the AD comes to me early in the fall and says, "Hey, we got a coaching job," and he says it will pay you six hundred dollars. I said, "Well, I'll, I'll talk to my wife." So I went home and I said, "We didn't have any money at all. We had nothing." And so I got went home and I said. I got a chance to coach basketball. How much does it pay? 600. You got to take it. You got to take it. She says, okay, thank you. And then, um, was about three weeks later, the baseball coach resigned. He was a good friend of mine, but he resigned. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Cause he had also, also coached other sports. And so the AD came to me, he says, Hey, you want to be the head baseball coach? I hadn't coached anything, you know? And, uh, um, and he said, pay $600. Oh, well, let me go ask my wife. I came home and I said, well, I got a chance to be the head baseball. How much does that pay? 600. You got to take it. So that's how it started. That's exactly how it started. Now, it, your question was, wish I knew something. <clears throat> I didn't quite know. You know. I had a meeting and I, they, had a, <clears throat> they had a 
good baseball team, went to state, but they're all seniors. First thing I said to them, I said, who can pitch? So two kids raised their hand and I said, well, I can pitch, I can pitch. And well, it was quite a year because we ended up going to state, 1969. That was that seventh decade. So anyway, so the first year I coached, I went to state. I guess I knew everything, didn't I? But actually, I mean, as, as I got into it and, and I got into the ABCA, but I also got into the Wisconsin Baseball Coaches Association right away, uh, way back. And uh, um, you might know Tommy O'Connell. Tommy was one Very of the, well. Yeah, Tommy was one of the guys that got it started. Uh, and he and he and I, yeah, he and I used to play each other, but then he never beat me. So then he quit playing me, but uh, make sure that he hear, I hope he hears that on here. <laughs> but anyway, so I guess, I guess um, to answer that question, uh, I just learned and learned and kept going and going to as many clinics as I could and got very involved with our Wisconsin baseball coaches. We got, we have a really, really strong and a great, great um, uh group of people that, that, you know, every year we have a clinic and it, our organization is strong. We get 700 coaches from our state and other, other states, coaches from other areas love to come and talk and be in our, in our thing. So I guess that's, that was, that's what I didn't know, but I did learn it. What other resources were you diving into or, or other people? I mean, you talked about coach Gillespie, coach O'Connell, you know, were there any other people that you were leaning on early on to, to help you through the process of coaching? Well, you know, um, I had I had this opportunity to to speak at a lot a lot of these clinics, and then when you become a speaker, you uh, when you when you become a speaker, then you really have to learn the game, and that's one of the things I tell my seniors. Listen, when the season starts, you're going to take some freshmen in your group, and you're going to get to know them, and then you're going to help them. Same thing with open gyms. You know, we can't coach. But what I do is, you know, the seniors will know, they know the fundamentals, they know the batting grip. And, and so, you know, um, as far as relying on people, I, one of the things I've always re realized that in all my coaching that, that the kids know the game and the kids have ideas too. It's like, for example, I've got, I've got two excellent assistant coaches right now. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk in the dugout as the game goes on and, you know, maybe we don't like what's going on. And so I'll, I'll talk to them and stuff. And then I go out to the mound and I get to the mound. And I had, I also realized that there's six guys out there that are in that infield that have, have an opinion as well. And so one of the things I've learned is that, all right, guys, what's going on is it's not looking so good in the dugout. You know, we, we think there's, we, we, do, we don't think this is going well. And I said, some of the reserves want to, you know, they think I should sub. Well, that brings that brings it. Coach, look at that dugout. Look at that dugout. There's nobody in here that could play out here. Well, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, let's figure this out between us. What's going on? You booted a couple of balls. The pitcher is can't throw strikes, and you're blaming the umpires. And it's you know, and it's just amazing. So, you know, I've just realized that I, I love those clinics. Gary Pollins got me into the organization to speak. And I spoke back-to-back -back years, uh, and then I hooked up Mark Fuller and I. And Mark's Mark's one of the Hall of Famers from Wisconsin, in the ABCA. And so he go we uh, we go around and and we speak. We've spoken in ten states: Norway, Vancouver, British Columbia, three times. Um, you know, um, you know. I've sat on a plane with Tom House, and uh, uh, you know, you just pick their brain a little bit, and you know, and yeah, he. He used to he used to call us yin and yang. We'd be speaking up in 
Vancouver, he'd sit and listen to us and well, we, we make it fun and funny and he'd call us yin and yang. It's like, oh, okay, Tom, whatever. But, you know, I, I don't think there's any one particular person. Um, you know, Jim Dimmick was big. Jim Dimmick from St. Olaf was a really good guy. And, you know, it's just, you, you just have to get to know everybody. And then you, it's like coming to the clinic. I go to the, most of the sessions and then you just got to pick out one or two things if you can get some and, and you're going to be better. But then it's that, it's that uh, you know, talking to people and, you know, visiting and so on. Have you always had that peer mentoring piece with your teams? I, I agree. I, I think peer mentoring is the best way oh, for yeah. kids, kids to learn, but also, you know, you're more invested. Once, once, once you do some peer mentoring, you're now invested in that person and that person ends up investing in you because you're spending the time. But have you always had that piece with your teams? Oh yeah, I always had that. I think it's just a big one. I I would always start out by there'd be a senior, a junior, a sophomore, and a freshman in the group. If I if I had groups of four, and I'm a big station guy, where you you know put them in stations, you rotate them around, but you know, but then you get the guy that that's been in the program. You know, they know what's they know what we want, and uh, you know, and I had a situation last year was just amazing. The senior there was a there was a kid kid from Puerto Rico that was in the school. He could talk and everything, but he had never played ball, but he had a great swing. I don't know where he, where he figured it out. He probably did the playing in the, in the, in the playgrounds and, you know, and, but he took him every open gym and they'd work together on, on, on a tee. And a couple of times the kid didn't show up and, the, and my senior came up and said, well, where's so-and-so? And I said, you know, I don't know today. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a great way. I mean, let's face it. Uh, People can help people. That's what it's about. Hey, go through those stations. So, uh, you know, are, are there stations you've kept over the years? Have they changed? Go through those stations a little bit for coaches listening in. Well, for example, you know, you, let's say, let's say we're going to do a hitting, hitting day, you know? So, you know, we have the tees, uh, we have the soft toss, and then you bury the, you know, there's all kinds of different tee drills, you know, the pole, the middle, all those other things you can just pick up and then, you know, I might throw in uh, a station of throwing. So let's say you got eight minutes over the station and then we rotate them. You know, then maybe we've got this uh, machine going on over here and we're working on bunning because that's so important to me. A small ball is big, um, you know, and then you just go rotate around. Uh, well, maybe one, one station will be double T and then another one will be pull. Another one might be up the middle. Another one would be opposite field. So basically on a day like that, you might want to just concentrate on the hitting, but concentrate on, on hitting the opposite field and all, all the different ways and things, you know, uh, coaches can, well, coaches yeah, during the season, coaches can short toss. They can do it underhand, throw the ball where they want to tell this, this side, we're, we're going to pull the ball now. So you got to figure it out. And, and then this, this, you know, and then you have another, another players can do it. You teach them you know, tennis bounce is a good one. You put the screen up and you bounce that ball. That ball comes right in. Love you, the bounce you know? drill. Love it. Yeah. I mean, we've all done those and it's just a matter of that's what, you know, I might do because see what we have is we have girls softball and, and baseball at the same time and we're limited space. We've got a small gym for 45 minutes and then we go to a bigger gym and that's, we got, we got 45 minutes of whatever we're going to do in that small gym. That's it. We only get an hour and a half to practice. Because our, our school is big and we got a lot of sport. That's indoors. 
outdoors, we can take a little more time, but I'm not big at, at just taking time. I, I don't do meetings where I sit them down and talk very much. Um, Cause that just, to me, waste time. They sat in school all day. You know, they sat and listened to teachers all day. They don't need to listen to me. You know, you let them know what they're supposed to do. And then, you know, you can go correct them. Coaches walk around, you know, we, all that stuff. You know, we don't just let them throw. We, we Somebody's got to go out there. Otherwise they'll stand there and they'll throw, you know, from 10 feet to each other and they're talking for, you don't need to throw more than about five minutes to get warmed up as long as you increase the distance because you throw all practice. You know, kids take 20 minutes to throw. Yeah, I'm ready now. In the meantime, now we're going to now we're going to throw. You know, that doesn't make any sense. So, hey, how are you communicating with softball? So, uh, give us some. T- I mean, uh, how much? Because you're going to have to maximize both programs' time. So, how how are you communicating from a practice planning standpoint with softball? Okay, the way the way it's done is uh, we get here's how here's how it's set up. Uh, our schools from three thirty to from three so from three thirty to four fifteen. The, the varsity softball are together and varsity baseball, opposite field areas. Well, what that does for me is they've got to get there. And my seniors have off the hour before, so they set all the gym up. My senior will come and set up all, all the gym. They can take the extra swing. When they get there, you know, I tell them, you know, you, they know the stretches. we got set stretches. We don't do it as a group. You've only got 45 minutes. So if I'm going to wait, meantime, I've already had those seniors there. So they've already done everything, and they're now they're in the they're hitting and doing stuff. But so I just tell them this is what you need to do. They're they're going to take their five ten minutes and stretch, and then we're going to go on. And then after forty five minutes we switch, and then the JVs come in, and they've got forty five minutes. Um, boys will follow me in the big gym, and the girls will, will follow the softball because they've changed the equipment to softball, and then so the JV softball gets that. And now then the boys will finish off the, uh, the inside small cage. And then when the freshmen come in, they get that cage first. And it's just, it just works well. You know, you got to work with people. There's all of our spring sports work well with each other. There's nobody that, you know, tries to hog, you know, track wants a little bigger area. Soccer thinks they should have the whole gym. You're not going to get the whole gym in our thing. We got a big field house. You're not going to get it. You know, you can't make your whole field. Because in that case, I want a whole baseball diamond in there. So you just have to you have to get along. Hey, challenging springs in Wisconsin. Do you have any favorite uh, get the field ready stories? No, not really. Because um, the ball diamond itself, I don't have to get the regular ball diamond ready. It's it's done by the school district. You know, and uh, the biggest issue is, you know, they'll send their workers, but their workers should be doing carpenter work or whatever else. Now they got to go do a diamond. You know, and I don't think that that's the most popular for them. And, uh, but they'll get out there and get it done. Um, yeah, I think one time, <laughs> yeah, one time a kid, uh, early in the spring, we had snow right up, right on our home plate. It had been plowed and the snow was there. And so one kid says, well, I'll, I'll go home and get my snowblower. Okay, so I actually drove him home. He got his snowblower. He comes out. Well, that wasn't a good move because he ended up getting it plugged up. He sticks his hand in there to get it unplugged and it clipped off the top of his finger. So that wasn't the most, that, that was not a good move. So then I had to drive him to the hospital to get his stitches. Yeah, that was probably the worst thing that's happened. Was there ever a chance that you would leave Fondy? No, 
No, never a chance. Love it. The only thing I was, I was the head basketball coach for a while. And when, and when I was an assistant to begin with, when I was an assistant for about nine years, I always wanted to be a head basketball coach, but I didn't want to leave the baseball. And you know what? I, I, it was just a dream out there. And I, you know, I heard that somebody had an opening or something, but no, no, uh, I was, I was fine. My wife, my wife was from Chicago and I was from that little town of 125 up in Northern Wisconsin. So we settled between us. So we were about 250 miles from my home and she was about two, two and a half hours, 200 miles from Chicago. Um, and no, we just got the Fond du Lac and it's a, it was a, you know, it's a great place to raise your kids. It's just a great city and a great town. It's about 40,000 people. And so we have a big school, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be a powerhouse because everybody doesn't play sports. You know, it all depends on what it is. So, yeah. What were you um, taking from the basketball side to coaching baseball? Well, all the personnel plus all the personnel stuff, you know, that, that part was big, you know, I don't care what sport it is. You've got to develop the, uh, you know, that team, that teamwork first. And, uh, you know, you got to teach kids to live. That's basically what you do. I mean, I was, I'm definitely a teacher first coach second because, you know, not many kids are going to go on and, and, you know, I've never had anybody get to the major leagues. I've had triple a and a lot, a lot of scholarships for division one, but, you know, I think same thing with basketball, you know, you just have to develop kids to, compete that's the number one thing in both of them they got to compete um the one made one of the differences in baseball is 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 there's no clock and that's a different ball game so you've got a little more time to be thinking about it where basketball you got to you know if the score is certain things you got a different stuff there but as far as the kids and everything else uh you know there's probably more pressure in the basketball part from the standpoint of crowd you know you get a lot of spectators there or the cold, the cold spring, you know, we don't always get a big spectator, you know, we're, we're not, we're uh, one hour from Lake Michigan and uh, you go over there and play in the spring. Yeah. So it's 50 degrees in Bonillac and it's 22 over there and the wind's blowing off the lake. Yeah. That's, that's tough stuff. It's a different so, cold coming off the lake. Oh man. Oh man. That's something else. Uh, yeah. Well, two years ago, I do there's only four games that I coach without my long underwear. <laughs> Think about that one. You people in the South. <laughs> Same. When I was at Iowa and then Western Illinois, I, I don't think I, I probably had long handles on the entire season at both those places. Yeah. Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Mark Pro. That is M-A-R-C Pro. Personally, I used it as a coach for my ragged out BP arm and legs after a tough workout. We saw huge benefits with our pitchers and position players in decreased soreness and recovery time. It's an amazing machine that speeds up the recovery process by getting blood flow back to the areas that need it. It's durable and cost effective. The Mark Pro needs to be a tool in your peak performance toolkit. I can't recommend it enough. Hit me up if you have any questions. Order now on markpro.com and use the promo code ABCA to get 10% off. Now back to the podcast. You know, when you talk about teaching teaching kids to live, what are you hoping that they get in their time with you that they can use once they get out of high school? 
Well, number one is if you're nice to people, they'll be nice to you. And if you, te- you know, if you try to teach that to kids and then, you know, communication skills is huge. I mean, realistically, you know, everybody is, looks different than, than everybody else. But um, if, you have, if you have a good personality, you got a way better chance to get that girl that you want than, you, than if you're just a bump on the log. I mean, and the job you want, I mean, it goes into everything, better communicators, get better jobs. They have better relationships. It just, now, now how do you help? Cause not, especially now with the devices, kids aren't going to be great at communicating. How are you helping them to be better communicators? Well, you know, um, yeah, that's very interesting because I've got a son-in-law that is head softball coach up in a, in a town, but he also became the assistant tennis coach in this town and um he'd say the girls would play a little bit and then they'd want to take a break and they'd go right to their devices grab that thing grab right to the device and the sad part about it is they're probably texting the person sitting next to them that's the sad part about it but um you know i i guess i guess you just have to teach teach kids that you got to be able to learn how to talk and you got to be able to do, you know, communicate. I've, I've got a pencil actually in front of me that, that I give them all my marketing students and my athletes. And it's, it's what I think attitude is. And a lot of what it, what is on here is, is, is you can use for anything. You can use it in your, your, your marriage. You can use it in your job. You can use it every day. It's, I got it right here. It's attitude equals, Enthusiasm is, is the first E. All these aren't necessarily in order, but enthusiasm. So if you got enthusiasm, that's huge. Because enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm. Energy, bring some energy here. But again, somebody could just bring be a cheerleader. That's not what you want. You want energy. And then the third one is effort. So if you got energy and then some effort, all right, and then encouragement is the fourth one. And what that means is you got to encourage others teammates, your wife, family, your job, you strive for excellence, but you have to make sure you're ethical. You're not going to do it at, at somebody else's expense. And the last one is, is enjoy the, whatever you do goes back to the fun. Love it. But then I I got two minus two E minuses. One of them is no excuses and no, there's no entitlement. And one of the hardest things in, in sports in particular is, is the word entitlement. You know, what happens here with the entitlement is, again, so uh, Marty here was a freshman and I played and I was a starting sophomore. Well, now when they get to be a junior, now you're, it's, we're juniors to seniors and we can take sophomores, we can take freshmen on the varsity. Well, all right, they, they're gonna, they might see some time, but now when they get to the senior, Number one is they think they're entitled. It's their turn. And parents really think they're entitled, especially the ones that paid for travel ball and everything else. They think they're entitled. You're not entitled to anything in this world. The bottom line is, is that you could be the system manager at McDonald's and all of a sudden the head manager leaves. You think you're going to get that. There's no guarantee you're going to get that. There's no guarantee of anything. You know, there's no such thing as entitlement. And so, um, yeah, I guess uh, 
if you can teach these life skills, you know, and <laughs> so what are you doing when they got these things in their hand? You know, well, I guess you got to, you got to put it down and, and listen, I guess, you know, but. How are you, of, how are you communicating with your parents? I, I, I like to call them number one, you know, because then you, then you're talking. I'm not, um, my wife, my wife always says, why don't you call so-and-so about something? You know, let's say I got a TV problem or something. No, I go, I go in person. I go out there because I'll get more, uh, 10 times more, more things done than somebody else. And so I'm not a, but as far as communication, yeah, you know, the texting and stuff is really nice because you get an answer right now. There's no question. This, this, I mean, the, these devices are really, really important for salesmen and things like that. There's no question. It's just that otherwise, you know, on a, on an everyday situation, you know, instead of texting your friends all the time, I get a kick out of kids, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll leave practice and all of a sudden will text me when a little bit later. So they're in the car and they're going to text their people. They just saw their friend. It's like, come on. So I guess I'm a little old school that way, but. No, I, I am too. And it, it is easier for this generation to text because they're not comfortable face to face. They're not comfortable talking on the phone. And, um, but those are life well, skills that you have to develop. Cause I, again, I've never, I've never, never met a successful person that isn't at, can at least communicate face to face and communicate over the phone. Um, and, and maybe I'm a little bit older now too, but I just, I haven't seen too many successful people that, uh, that can't communicate face to face or via the phone. Well, I mean, you know, let's, let's face it when you get to, you know, you come to your clinic and you, you know, you see these coaches are up there and, you know, they, they, they know what they're doing, but they also can communicate and they do a good job. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll sit and listen to, you know, anybody, you know, Tommy Lasorda. I, I, I happened to be sitting in a, in a bar in Anaheim in 1994 and he's over there telling jokes. And, uh, it's like, I, you just sit and listen. I don't need to talk in that case, but you listen and you listen to people and how they, you know, and you want to emulate that, you know, he's famous famous coach and you want to emulate that you want to be somebody without being a know-it-all you don't want to take over a conversation but you got to listen you got to be a good listener you know and uh you know and and even non-baseball guys you know i'm i'm very much a lou, lou holtz lookalike so my nickname is lou i've signed all over the united states you know now if lou's listening i don't take any money but and i got your signature down lou but you know, anybody, anybody who, who, you know, you just got to listen and, and pick, pick their, pick their brains and things like that. But, um, there's a good Lou Holtz story when he was the head coach at Notre Dame, he would leave his, he'd close his, his office and leave the light on and would climb out the window. So his assistants thought he was still in his office, even though he's gone. Well, that sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that ever happened to you? Everybody okay. has to answer that. That's that's my, I got two questions that everybody has to answer and that's one of them. All right. Then I got to come up with an answer here. What's the <laughs> second one? And I'll think of the first one. Uh, morning or evening routines that help you 
Uh, you know, I interview so many successful people on here and, and they all have different things, but I always like asking what's, I mean, you've been doing this for seven decades. So this is amazing. Like these stories, like you, Woody Hunt, uh, you know, my high school coach, Quentin Merkel at Memorial high school, did it for five decades, you know, Ken Schreiber at, uh, yep. you know, LaPorte high school. Um, you know, we don't have too many of you guys that have just been, especially been at one place and done it. So you've got to have some either morning or evening routines that you feel like help you. Well, I think one thing when, when I go to bed at night, uh, last thing that I think about is what am I going to do, do to have fun tomorrow? That's one of the things that I do. And I tell people that all the time, you know, you don't want to go to bed angry. You go to bed with figure out what you're going to do to have fun tomorrow. Now, now that can't always be the case. You might have, you know, um, a podcast you have to do and you're all nervous about it. No, I, 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 I was looking forward to this. This is, this is my first thing of having fun. Now I got a granddaughter that's in a daughter tonight. That's going to be coaching for a sectional with one step away from state in volleyball. And that's going to be fun. You know, it's just, that's one of the things I do. Um, and then of course, you know, I think you have to make some notes as to what what's important the next day, just to make sure that you got your ducks in a row on that one. And, uh, Hey, what's your definition of fun? I mean, when, when, when you say, hey, I'm going to have fun tomorrow, I mean, what is your definition or some examples of, of the next day of fun? Because I, I think we need to bring more fun back. I think you look now in society and there's a lot of unfun going on right now. But, you know, what what are some your definition of having fun or or enjoyment? Well, the bottom line is, is that I, I had a maid because I could get up and go to that class in the morning and they're going to run the class. They're going to do it. So I'm gonna have, I'm having fun to go when I go to school. Yeah, I, like I said, I really really didn't want to retire, but you know our our governor came in in 2010 and then took all it broke the unions, and as a result, it took a lot of benefits away. But I had six years paid it paid insurance on that if if I would retire at 59, I retired. I, I sub all the time still because I, I like that getting in school. Is that how you uh, filled the void? You know, when you were done teaching full time, is that how you filled the void with subbing? Yes. Yes. I, and I, cause, cause I can pick the days I want to work. They don't call me. I've got the, I've got, uh, we've got the system that comes on the, on the phone. And then you, if you want to do the job, well, what I do is I have the te- all the teacher schedules. So what I do is I, I look at who it is and I look at what their schedule is. And if they want an afternoon, let's say, and, and, uh, my first hour would be lunch. The second hour would be a prep. The third hour would be a hall walker. And then one class, I'll snap that sucker up. Love it. Well, you know what? I mean, it might be, uh, again, what do, you, what do I do to have fun? Well, okay, you got to look ahead. Uh, I knew, I knew I had, I had you and we got that going. Now I know tomorrow, when I get up, I'm going to go to the casino for a while with Mark Fuller, who is also in the Hall of Fame. We're down in Madison. And then we've got our big uh, WBCA. We're picking our Hall of Fame for our WBCA at night. And I know the next day I'm going to the Badger-Hawkeye football game. And then I know that night would be the final game of the volleyball. And then I got a granddaughter on Sunday that's playing – for UW Oshkosh basketball, and they're going to play the University of Wisconsin in Madison on Sunday. And, uh, you know, and then the other thing is today I thought I got this. Uh, I'm going to go watch volleyball. Uh, we got our 
Packer game tonight. So we're huge Packer fans. Uh, we got season tickets to the Packers, Brewers, and Badgers. So, you know, I can always find something to have fun. Now, the thing is, too, is it might not be a uh, – you look ahead and you say, well, you know, I guess that might just be the fact that they'll stop for a beer at the local bar for 20 minutes. Okay, that's if that's the best fun I can find, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's how my dad is, too. Hey, what do you like at the casino? Oh, I'm a slot guy. Are you? Yeah, I'm a slot guy. I, I know how to play blackjack and everything else, but I go for the big wins. Uh, and But you got to be careful. you got to be smart. Uh, yeah, I love blackjack. I do. I don't get to play very often. Um, you know, North Dakota State blackjack. was one of my favorite trips because – in Fargo, North Dakota, they have blackjack in the in the establishment, so you yeah. could you could play dollar hands, which I, I'm I'm not going to to win or lose money. I'm going to just experience it. So that was one of my favorite trips, is because I knew the the penalty box was right next to our hotel that I could go play blackjack for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And then the bottom line too is is that uh, I'm I like roulette. I like I like the roulette, and uh, I've kind of learned that the the way you win at that is. Um, if you, if you, well, I, I don't want to explain it, but there's, there's, you can get a 66% chance to win if you play the board one third, one third, one third, one third. And here's how it, here's how it works. You play two thirds of it. All right. Let's say you put a $5 chip down. All right. So if one of those wins, you double your money, they'll take the other one away. But now, but now you've made money. And that's a dealer told me that one time. He said, he said, that's your best way to play, you know, but anyway, so I, I like the slots. Um, but I don't, you got to realize if you went in a slot machine, you got to get off it. Yes. Where some people, yes. Some people just well, that the house is getting their money because the, the algorithm set up for you to play and win a little bit, but yeah. you're going to lose all of it at some point. You will, you will, you got to walk away. All right, now, hey, what, what about a fail-forward moment? Do you have one? Uh, yeah. Um, I actually got fired from basketball as a head coach. We, we didn't win, and they came and said, well, you know, maybe it's time to move on. I said, move on. I said, and I had seven games left, and I had pygmies for players. Um, they're unbelievable. We, we worked as hard as we could, but we couldn't win. We just couldn't win. And uh, we had one, and but well, there was a new superintendent, so he thought, well, you know what, he's he's not winning, and I had a lot better team coming, and you know I was disappointed, but I told him I wouldn't resign. Uh, I could have resigned, but I said no, and and you know what, um, so I made him fire me instead, um, because I didn't think I had done anything wrong, and I I was good at it, I was really good at it, um, but actually that opened up a lot of a lot of opportunities for me. I got to see my own kids play basketball in high school because I wouldn't have done that. Two daughters and a son, they were all good athletes. I got to do that. Uh, that was big. And then uh, I'd go and keep the book and, and run the clock for those games and get paid for it. And uh, but then I got into coaching seventh grade basketball for the district. I did that. I didn't, I didn't run away. I didn't out or something like that. No, I'll coach seventh grade. So I got an opportunity to do that. That was really fun. So I mean, basically I was helping the new coach who came in because I was developing a lot of his kids. And uh, yeah, and then I had that opportunity. And, but 
it worked out great. You know, I think I, I, I know I had, I put in as much time in baseball before as I did, but this, this gave me the time now to go out and Mark Fuller and I, I told you go out and speak and around the, and we get to do that in the winter. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing that. So I guess that's, that's pretty good right now. That was kind of a, yeah, that was a failed moment there, but I moved on. Yeah. It's all about your perspective. Hey, my dad yeah. used to say it all the time. I've never seen a jackass win the Kentucky Derby. So, you know, if, if, if you have good players, you got a chance, you got to coach them up, but uh, sometimes the cards that you're dealt uh, aren't going to allow you to have a ton of success either. No, exactly. Exactly. Hey, what are yeah. some, what are some final thoughts or any shout outs to people? Maybe you want to thank um, before we finish here. Well, um, thank you. This has been, this has been excellent. This has been fun. You know, I, again, I want to thank the ABCA for, getting me, giving me the opportunity to get in. And uh, Terry Ayers is a really good friend of mine. and Awesome person. Yeah, Terry helped me get in. He was my roommate in Norway. That's the first time I ever met him. Uh, and we were over there and we were we were there again with uh, John Bodenleck from UW-Whitewater and then Mark Fuller. And uh, so we went over to Norway to speak to, uh, to their Olympic team, um, which... Uh, yeah, they were in the lower level. They weren't the, they they were like the B B group, the Norwegians and stuff like that. I mean, they had a, <laughs> um, they had a. Hey, what, what 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 are some things that maybe Americans take for granted about baseball that when you go to another country and see it, what sticks out? Well, I think that you know they're learning it, so they're they're really really. They're really, really, I mean, they were listening like crazy. Yeah. I mean, they wrote down everything we said. Where I think here, I think a lot of times they they take it for granted, you know. It's just like a lot of coaches, you know. They may think they could coach this stuff, but if you got it, you got to get better. You got to keep learning, and that's what they do. That's what they were doing. They were, you know, they were. I, I had a brain surgeon that was their relief pitcher, 29 years old. I mean, there, there were two twins that were, Picture and a catcher, they were 16, and then there was a third baseman that was 44. Now that's an Olympic team. Are you kidding? I mean, they haven't got a chance, but <laughs> they were there and they were learning, and we were speaking to them. But uh, yeah, I think that's big. But uh, you know, as far as, as far as a shout out, shout out, Terry was big, Mark Fuller was he was instrumental for helping me. You know, he got letters and things wrote for me, and and Mark's from Cumberland, he was instrumental in, in helping. Uh, you know, and I want to thank him and, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, there's so many people, but, um, you know, I just, the ABCA has been instrumental because I'm, I'm like the Norwegians when I go to those things, I'm, I'm taking notes like crazy. And then you go back and put it into your program. That's what you have to do. You're not going to go down there and change your whole program after seven decades. I don't think I'm going to change much, but. You pick up something. The best, anyway, but the, the best ones we have still have that beginner's mind. You know, they they just come into everything with a fresh set of eyes and yeah. have a beginner's mind and are willing to learn as they go, but also hold hold their core values. And yeah. you know, and I think that's part of being successful is yes, learning along the way and picking things up, but then also understanding what your core values are and staying true to yourself and what works for your program too. Right. And the other thing I've got is I've got uh, most of almost all my, all my assistants are former players. Love it. So that works out. That really works out well. I got, yeah, I've got, 
that 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 really helps. I mean, because that's they know exactly what what we do, and they were in the program, and they bought into it, and all that type of thing. So, yeah, but I still, you know, the the Jim Demicks and all those people, you want to thank all of them, but there's a lot of them. But you know, the ABCA is is instrumental. I thank it. Well, Marty, thanks so much for your time. This is this is awesome for me. I loved it. Well, I I loved it too. Thanks, thanks, Ryan. Yep, we'll see you in uh, we'll see you in Chicago. Yes, sir. All right, sounds good. Congrats again to Coach Paulson. I had a great time with him on this one. He's lived a life worth living. It's refreshing to see someone still living life to the fullest and enjoying what they do seven decades in. The quote, I still throw as hard as I used to, it just takes longer to get there, is going to stick with me forever. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, coachb underscore abca, Instagram, ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the My ABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Don't have